Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, July 12th. We begin with a look at the fallout from last week's Rogers wireless outage. We get the latest from David Soberman, Professor of Communications from the University of Toronto, including suggestions coming from the federal government to prevent future large-scale interruptions of service. Food insecurity and famine conditions are devastating Ethiopia. We discuss the dire situation with Andrew Harrington, Executive Director of Canadian Food Grains Bank, and hear what we as Canadians can do to lend a hand. If you're planning hikes and trips to the backcountry this summer, you'll need to know how to keep you and your family safe. So we get some timely tips from Kim Titchener, founder and president of Bear Safety and More Incorporated. And finally, it's one of the biggest online events of the year, Amazon Prime Day. We catch up with the gadget guy, Mike Yanni, for what you need to know about this popular online shopping phenomenon back in Canada after a two-year hiatus. The outage of the Rogers Network impacted more than just their 11 million wireless customers as ATM, debit, and wire transfers were also knocked offline. Why did this happen and how can we ensure stability of Canada's telecommunication networks? Joining us to discuss is David Soberman, Professor of Communication, Culture, Information and Technology at the University of Toronto. Good morning to you, David. Good morning. Well, we knew it was coming uh, yesterday. The Minister of Innovation, Science and Industry of Canada, Francois-Philippe Champagne, met with telecom execs following the outage. Do we know what was discussed, David? Well, hopefully they discussed um, various paths that were available to Rogers and the other telecommunications companies in Canada that would ensure the reliability and stability of the the system moving forward. Because obviously what happened on Friday was really um, bad for a lot of Canadians, Canadian businesses, uh, people that were trying to take payments, and also people that were even trying to make 911 calls. So this is something where the government has a real interest in trying to get the problem um, addressed. Yeah, most definitely unacceptable for so many people. We pay a lot for cell service in this country. And the fact that, you know, it wasn't just cell service, but, you know, debit wire transfers also impacted by the outage. I think a lot of people don't realize how, you know, intertwined all of that is. Absolutely. I mean, I think it makes you feel very vulnerable when you realize that because one of the three major suppliers goes down and you think, okay, well, that's just mobile phones from one supplier. But in fact, it's a whole set of other systems that are interconnected. And obviously, one of the things they're going to try to discuss is how can we, first of all, uh, provide um, temporary roaming on alternative networks when one of the networks goes down? And the other thing is, is there some way that um, Internet service can be provided to uh, Rogers uh, users or to TELUS or Bell users, um, heaven forbid, if they also have a similar sort of outage. I guess that would be part of it, David. You don't look at it as, you know, uh, you know we're bailing out another telecom, that, but this could happen to us as well. So that's an interesting point when you look at all sides benefiting if this happens. Can we look at any other parallels between other countries? Does this happen in other countries or has it been addressed in another way in, in different uh, countries? Well, that's hard to say. I think these sorts of outages um, definitely have happened in other countries. But I think the main um, benchmark of comparison are other Western countries as opposed to countries um, in the developing world. And typically when these sort of outages happen, 
they're due to some sort of catastrophic natural event. I mean, I remember I was living in France on um, September 11th, 2001, and we lost all of our communications for several hours. But this was just because of something which happened, which was simply completely unpredictable. Um, that stands in contrast to the Rogers uh, story, which in both both cases seems to have been the result of a, of a software or a maintenance update to their core network. And that's a very different situation. And it would seem that a well-run company would have a backup system mm. for that sort of a problem. So, David, there's talk now then that, you know, should a, a one major network go out, that they'll be able to piggyback on one of the others. How does that, you know, even happen? It's it's a brilliant idea. I think it's the smart thing. Are the are, do you think that the the communications companies are going to be on board with this, or do they not have any choice really? Well, I think all of these um, ideas of how to create more stability in the system are technically possible, but there's an issue of how much money and how much work does it require. And I think that's one of the uh, big challenges when you're sort of looking at a problem like this, is to try to figure out what's the best path of, of action in order to make the problem better, but also not to create uh, unnecessary cost burdens, because Given the fact that our industry isn't that competitive, uh, we can sort of imagine that um, those cost increases would be passed on to consumers. So that's one of the reasons I think that the government is involved, is to make sure that, first of all, it's done efficiently, and also to make sure that the telecommunications companies don't use these new regulations as a basis for increasing our prices mm -hmm. even more. Speaking with David Silberman, Professor of Communication, Culture, Information and Technology at the University of Toronto. And the timing of this, David, because we have been talking about Rogers in the past several months, not about the outage, but about the Rogers-Shaw merger. Could this affect it moving ahead? What are your thoughts? I think indeed it might, because you can simply imagine a judge listening to the arguments from Rogers um, claiming that this merger will do nothing to interfere with the mm. quality of service that's provided to Canadians, and the judge sort of looking over the rim of their glasses and saying, really, are you serious, after what, had happen what has happened? So I think it definitely raises some questions. Uh, we obviously have a more concentrated industry than um, we have in many other Western countries like the United States and Western Europe. And I think that because of that, there are various problems. I mean, the one that we typically talk about is prices, because we pay some of the highest prices in the world. But with what's happened to Rogers twice in the last 14 months, I think there's some other issues as well with the approach that we've taken to, to managing our telecommunications industry in Canada. David, if you could solve all the world's woes when it comes to this issue with your magic wand, what do you think the best answer is here? Well, I think, first of all, um, there's an internal issue. And I think the starting point when you have a problem like this is to try to understand what caused the problem. So um, let's keep the pricing issue and competition aside for the moment. That also is another problem. But this is a problem of actually the reliability of service. 
The most important thing I'd want to know is why did this happen twice to company A and it didn't happen to company B or company C? I mean, if you're able to get an answer to that question, then you probably are going to have a number of very clear strategies, technical solutions to the problem. That seems to be the starting point for at least solving the problem that happened on Friday. One more question, and it's it's related because we're talking about telecom in Canada and you mentioned A, B and C. Is this a case that we need to blow open the doors and have more competition? Or, or what do you see as the solution to lower the prices that Canadians pay for, you know, our wireless services compared to our neighboring nations? I would certainly argue uh, for that. I think that one of the problems we have is we have a lot of red tape in order for um, uh, a company to enter this market. And on top of that, there are fairly uh, strong restrictions against foreign ownership. Now, I can understand why foreign ownership is an issue with our uh, Canadian broadcasters because we want to be able to maintain Canadian content and have channels through which Canadian artists and Canadian movie producers have a way to distribute and to you know keep their the cultural businesses going. But I think when it comes to mobile phone service, it's a very uh, different animal. And there's a lot of studies um, in the industrial organization literature which show that when an industry has five or more serious competitors, it's much less likely to have collusive or collusive pricing or what's called tacit collusion. And what we that's effectively what we have um, in the Canadian market because what the firms do is they match each other's pricing. But when you match each other's pricing, then nobody actually has an incentive to offer a lower price, and that's what leads to our high prices. It's much harder for that to be sustained when there are more companies. So I fully agree with the idea that you suggested, which is we, if we had a couple of more serious, bona fide players in the market, I think Canadians would find that their prices are more in line with the rest of the world. I think people would like that very much. Thank you for the discussion this morning, David. Appreciate your time. No problem. My pleasure. Thank you, David Soberman, Professor of Communication, Culture, Information and Technology at the University of Toronto. Globally last year, 828 million people were living hungry or with chronic malnourishment. And after years of drought, Ethiopia is facing a humanitarian crisis and famine. With Insight, we are joined by Andrew Harrington, Executive Director of Canadian Food Grains Bank, live from Ethiopia. Good morning to you, Andrew. Morning. Good to be with you. Thank you for for joining us. You are in the region. So can you tell us what you're seeing right now in Ethiopia? Yes, it's 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 been um, a very illuminating, challenging, disturbing, and inspiring trip. Um, I'm here with the Canadian Food Grains Bank visiting some of the projects of our members. We're an association of 15 members, and seeing some of their local partners at work. And what we're seeing is severe hunger, uh, a drought that has lasted for three years, a rainfall that is in its now fifth season uh, of uh, diminished rainfall, uh, non-existent in places, and that's led to severe hunger. We have up to 18.4 million people right across the Horn of Africa here who are um, at high levels of food insecurity. Around the world, there are 50 million people on the edge of famine, and there's quite a few of them in this country. So we're seeing seeing some dev- devastating consequences of the drought here and of conflict as well. 
Andy, I mean, I think for the most part, we just take water completely for granted. We have no concept of what it would be like to not have the tap to just turn on and, and have a fresh flow of water whenever we choose to have it. So, I mean, what is the rest of the world doing? It, I, it feels like this is one of those issues that, you know, you hear about and we've heard about it for a long time in a country like Ethiopia. But are there other are there organizations that step in? How are, how are they being helped in Ethiopia right now? Well, thanks. It's a great question. And there are organizations stepping in the World Food Program, uh, organizations like Canadian Food Grains Bank, uh, other organizations such as the Humanitarian Coalition uh, in Canada. The Humanitarian Coalition is a group of of aid agencies that come together in times of emergency. And um, we've actually just launched an appeal. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I'm here. And the government has agreed to match that appeal uh, up to the first $5 million that we raised before July 17th. And you can go to together.ca. Uh, in order to to help on that. But uh, I think on the wider question, um, governments are concerned, uh, but the trouble is there's so much bad news in the world, as we know. Um, A lot of attention is focusing on Ukraine at the moment, and and that is a terrible crisis. But the spillover of that crisis is meaning that um, there is a huge inflationary cost, which we're seeing in Canada. But here, we're looking at price rises of over 40 to 50% since Christmas. We've seen that in the food that we supply. I, I recently visited a food distribution center where we're feeding 350 families for our local member, uh, through Tear Fund actually, and our local member TDA. Uh, and the cost of the, the, the to feed those families for one month has gone up over 45% in just the last few months. It, so uh, there's a lot that governments need to do to around the world and a lot that organizations like us need to do as well. I want to bring it back just a bit, Andrew, because you mentioned, you know, what's happening these days to make it difficult to get aid to this area, Ethiopia, that definitely needs, you know, a top up of of food supplies. Uh, But you also mentioned that in the past five years, there's been a diminishing of of moisture when it comes to rain. So that's a longer time. Has it been difficult in the past number of years to get food to Ethiopia? Are there barricades in place to get them aid? Well, I think here in Ethiopia, there's a number of things that are causing uh, this this shock, uh, this hunger crisis. It would be the first one would be climate that we've already talked about. The second one would be the economic consequences of things like the Ukrainian war and uh, of COVID as well with the breakdown of food supply systems. But here in Ethiopia, there has been internal conflict, as we've seen in places like Tigray and the spillover that's happening. In fact, I should be speaking to you uh, from a project area about 150 kilometers from here that I've been unable to go to today because of violence in the area. So there there has been um, problems right across, but um, organizations like ours and like our members are able to get aid in. So this, we're not being blocked at the moment, which is a good thing. The question is whether we can do enough in a short time before this that the hunger crisis that is accelerating becomes out of control. There's 7.2 million people severely food insecure in this country at the moment because of that drought, which is the main driver. And there's about 2.5 million livestock that have died. And if anyone knows anything about this area, they'll know that livestock is a key uh, giver of food security. So so the, the situation is we can get help in. Um, the problem is that this, this crisis is a cascading crisis that has come to this moment. And that's why we're asking, even as you mentioned those, those numbers of 828 million around the world, that's why we're asking Canadians to be generous at the moment in a time that, where we're facing figures we've not seen for 40 years, to be honest. Andy, sometimes you need to slap people in the face to realize, you know, just how severe it is. Do you have any numbers in terms of how many people in this country are dying because they don't have uh, water, because they don't have food? I, I couldn't give you specific numbers on that. It's not the sort of country you can say this is how many people have died. What I can say is when you're in famine, 
one of the um, one of the qualifiers of that is that two in every 10,000 people die. Um, and we're seeing more than that. Um, I was very sad uh, to to visit a, a project um, just last week um, where we saw we heard story after story of people who'd lost people be, due to this uh, drought. Um, this has been a severe situation and it's only going to get worse if we don't intervene. And that's not just here in Ethiopia, it's right across the Horn of Africa and in other places around the world. So we're seeing death, we're seeing destruction uh, through the conflict, um, but it can be stopped. It, it, there is still hope here if we can intervene in time. All right, let's talk about what Canadians can do, because I think sometimes there's a disconnect, Andrew, because it's so far on the other side of the globe, first of all. But the other part is we are talking about, um, you know, the monies, you know, what can we do? How far will it go? Yeah, I think sometimes we think we, we can't really make a difference. Is that the case or how can we help? Oh, we can help. There are two ways. First of all, as, as I mentioned, we have an appeal on at the moment and the Canadian government is, is matching that appeal up to the first five million that appeal lasts until the 17th of July, and you can go to together.ca, and, and we can guarantee that that money is going to be well used here. Um, the humanitarian coalition is very good at getting uh, response and support to the people who need it very quickly. We're also very engaged. You know, I want to give I want to give one story of hope, if that's okay, because because yes. sometimes we can just focus on that awful awful thing. Mm -hmm. I visited another lady called Meseret, took a video of her. Um, and she's uh, part of one of our longer term programs that's really trying to build drought resilient food systems. Uh, and she's um, using some of the processes that we talk about in conservation agriculture uh, to allow herself to be able to grow crops at a higher yield than she could have done a few years ago, even in the midst of the drought. So what we've got to do is two things. One, respond to the emergency, but two, think about long-term sustainability so that we don't have to keep coming back to this situation. Mm. So we're involved at the Canadian Food Grains Bank with our members in, in both of those things. So what we're asking today is please give to the emergency. You can make a difference. You can literally save lives. But we're going to go on from there and we're not going to give up and we're going to have hope that we can see better futures uh, for people in this country as we, as we change the way we do things. Once again, we'll tell people together.ca. It's a secure website where you can donate directly. Thank you so much for your time this morning. Appreciate it, Andy. It's been a privilege. Thank you. Thank Andrew you. Harrington, Executive Director of Canadian Food Grains Bank. Again, together.ca. Understanding how to keep you and your loved ones safe when you're out exploring in the backcountry, out for a hike anywhere, we need to be aware of our surroundings, know what's out there, know how to protect ourselves. Joining us to provide some bear and backcountry safety tips is Kim Titchener, founder and president of Bear Safety and More, Inc. Good morning to you, Kim. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you doing? Excellent. Thank you. I'm a big hiker. I love going out. What mistakes do you think are, are a couple of the, the big ones that people make when they head out on a hike or into the backcountry, uh, obviously unprepared? <laughs> yes, for sure. But we're definitely seeing some interesting trends out there. Um, I see a lot of folks taking their, their smartphones out and actually putting them on their backpack or somewhere on them and playing music. And I think it's kind of this common myth these days that if I just play music, then I'll scare off all the wildlife. Um, and so that's one of the, the biggies that, that I definitely get concerned about is, uh, is, of course, reminding people that they actually need to be listening for the sounds of like branches, you know, cracking, mm -hmm. 
sticks and, and bushes moving, um, the chuff of an animal letting them know that you're, they're too close. And then when they're not listening, they're letting out hoops and hollers to let, let these animals know that they're there, that they're human, that they're, they're coming in their direction. So that way we can avoid these collisions of people, you know, walking up on bears and other wildlife at close range. So that's, that's kind of the biggest one I've been seeing lately. Okay, Kim, that's something we don't need to bring our devices to play our soundtrack with us. But what are the must-haves when it comes to equipment or gear we should have with us when we're heading out on a hike? Sure, absolutely. So uh, I would start off with going with a group. Um, we do find that when people go out in groups of four or more people, we generally don't see bear attacks. Uh, it's usually on people that are by themselves, not paying attention, not making a lot of noise. Uh the most useful tool that we have, and it's free, of course, because, you know, with this uh, all this inflation, luckily it's free, <laughs> is our voices. And so, like I just said, like just making tons of noise when you're out there on the trail every couple minutes, letting out a hoop and a holler. If you're on a mountain bike um, or you're, you're trail running, you've got to make noise even more often. And then the other piece of equipment that I like the, that you really do need is a can of bear spray and a holster. And um, it needs to be physically on you. And unfortunately, I have seen cases where people like were, were trying to make that effort. They're like, yeah, I brought my bear spray, but it was in my backpack or it was in the water bottle holder of my backpack and it fell out. Uh, the bear knocked me over. I couldn't get it out in time. So we really recommend um, folks, you know, go in and get a holster like a scat belt that you can literally clip on around your waist or across your chest and practice pulling it out so that you've got that bear spray handy. You can get it out in under a couple seconds and boom, you've got it. You're ready to go. Yeah, I got I got a little sort of, it goes on the, the strap of my backpack that goes around my waist mm-hmm. and it's just got a little foam, um, like a neoprene holder and yes. it didn't cost very much at all. I think it was under $10 and it just makes it that much more accessible because you're right, you don't have time to fumble around in your backpack to get out bear spray. It's a now no. kind of thing. But we know bears are not the only predators out there. What else should we be taking? taking precautions for and what do we do if we encounter some other type of animal sure well i mean i think a common one for folks is probably coyotes um when we look at attack rates across north america they're a species that we see a lot more you know a lot of encounters with cougars are another one um you know we're not seeing fatalities or sort of severe maulings with those species but um, as we do with, of course, bears. Um, but, you know, those are two animals that I that I always get kind of concerned about people, especially if they've got dogs with them. And so uh, that's another piece is just, you know, keeping your dog on a leash and that way you've got control over it. Um, you don't have a dog running around loose that, that could be perceived as a prey species by carnivores like wolves, cougars, and coyotes. Um, and then you won't have those surprise encounters where your, your dog suddenly runs into a bear and goes, oh, look, mom and dad, I found a new friend and come them, you know, with this bear charging behind them straight towards you, you're like, oh, great. Um, other species of concern uh, are, are, are ones that we don't think about. They're not carnivores. They're actually um, the ungulates. So um, moose and elk are, are actually species that are quite large and they could do quite a bit of damage. And we actually see a lot more attacks by, by those species than we do by some of those, those big carnivores that we always kind of think of, oh, the ones with the big teeth and the claws, the ones that hurt us the most. Um, but people get trampled by moose and bison and elk every year in our parks and protected areas. And so I always try to remind people, remember in the spring, avoid female um, elk and moose. And in the fall, um, avoid the males because they'll be rutting and they get quite aggressive and protective of females. So um, there's a whole, yeah, we're very lucky here in Alberta. Mm-hmm. We've got lots of, lots of wildlife <laughs> to be concerned about. <laughs> Absolutely. We want to be safe out there. We still want to get out to our backyard. Uh, so you're, I know you're hosting web- webinars on bear safety when are these happening and how can people get involved and sign up kim 
Sure. Well, uh, just, uh, you know, a year ago, we decided with COVID, uh, with, with the whole COVID situation, we were seeing such a um, insurgence of people heading into the outdoors mm-hmm. and wanting to learn about, you know, camping, hiking in, in these environments. And I was like, oh, dear, like, there's not a lot of great credible information out there. There's a lot of kind of, there's brochures, government websites, but there's not a lot of um, actual classes for people to take. To take. So we started uh, a, a free website. It's RecSafe with Wildlife, R-E-C-S-A-F-E, so RecSafeWithWildlife.com. And we actually host once a week a free bear safety or, or other species talk. Um, they usually go for about 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, we have sponsors that provide uh, prizes like, you know, bear spray holsters, first aid supplies. Uh, and we also have um, online courses that um, are longer, like a two-hour bear safety class and a one-hour bear spray course. And we actually give those away as well and we give discounts. So the next class is actually this. Thursday, July 14th at 7 p.m. It's going to be on Zoom and it's on biking and bears uh, because definitely people who are out there on their bikes in the mountains, out in these environments where bears live, they're pretty concerned about running into bears and we want to help them, give them some skills, um, go over some things that we would like them to do so they can avoid running into them and then of course what to do if they do. Uh, The week after July 21st, we're doing a talk on cougars and bears. We're going to combo them. And then the, the last week of July, on July 26th, we're going to do a, a talk, talk just on backpacking in bear country to get anybody who's heading out for the long weekend in August um, and into the August and September uh, bear season to, to, to have as much information as they can on being prepared for, for not attracting a bear to your campsite or when you're out there in the backcountry. Great resources to keep people safe. So easy to get the information. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll send people to bearsafety.com and then it's recsafewithwildlife.com, right? That would be great. Yeah, send them to RecSafeWithWildlife.com and, and lots of great free resources. And uh, if they want to join us on Instagram at, at RecSafeWithWildlife and our Facebook at RecSafeWithWildlife, um, we, we absolutely post tons of content and we'll, we'll send you reminders and you can register for our classes. Awesome. Thanks so much, Kim. Have a good one. We'll see you in the backcountry. Kim Titchener, founder and president of Bear Safety and More Incorporated. Hundreds of thousands of online shoppers will be putting on their board shorts because they're going to be surfing today. One of the biggest online events begins, and Canadians will be able to take part for the first time in two years. Gadget guy Mike Yanni joins us for a little Tech Talk uh, this Tuesday morning with not only that story, but also a new social media feature that could save your sanity. Good morning to you, Mike. Good morning. Are you guys ready to do some shopping today? Well, we are. Always. I was, <laughs> I was interested to, to, to know that it was, there was a kind, of, kind of a two-year hiatus for us for Amazon Prime Day. Yeah, so Prime Days now, because now it's more than just one day. It was actually cancelled in Canada for the past two years because of the pandemic. Uh, Amazon said for the safety of the employees in the warehouses, because Canada was, you know, we were in the throngs right when Prime Day was supposed to hit. Uh, we were right in the middle of um, some high numbers, so Amazon postponed this event for two years. So it's back this year. But to give you guys just, uh, and our listeners uh, an idea of how big this is, last year, 250 million items were bought during Prime Days, and that doesn't include Canada, of course. Two years ago, Jeff Bezos, so Amazon CEO, his net worth jumped $8.8 billion dollars in the days leading up to Prime Days in anticipation of the sale. You're kidding. That's ridiculous, right? Wow. 
Yeah, so back-to-school items are huge every year. Uh, like last year, 600,000 backpacks, 1 million laptops, a million headphones, 40,000 calculators are sold during Prime Day. But there's always some interesting items in different countries that are the one, number one seller. So I'm going to quiz you guys. Okay. The U.S. last year, what do you think was the number one seller? I'm going with the TV, like the, the, the plasma TVs. I'm going with the LED. air fryer. Okay, those are both good guesses, but totally off. Oh. Water pick electric water flossers. Oh, you're kidding. Flosser? Not even right? a toothbrush? No. Huh? No, strange. Mexico had gaming headsets. Was there a number one? And Italy. I'll let you get, guess this one. You might get this one. A pasta sauce. No, they make that there. Uh, I don't know. So, something else is popular in Europe. Uh, oh, soccer geez. balls. Um, I go with an e-bike or an e-scooter. Okay, no. Uh, coffee makers. But ah. it was actually the pod coffee makers, oh, really? which is kind of strange for Italy. You think they'd go for the the others, the good stuff? You but, think they'd uh, be against? Yeah, not the yeah. non drip. They'd want a drip. Jeez. Yeah. In Canada, by the way, two years ago, uh, water filters were huge. Those portable ones you can take camping with the, the straws. Yep, yep. Um, and instant pots. So, Sue, you were onto something there. Mm. Uh, those were the big sellers. So, and I should point out too that a lot of companies online today will have anti Prime sales. So it's it's a big shopping day all around for a lot of different companies. Whether you have Prime or not. Exactly, yeah. Gotcha. So just wondering, though, Mike, in your humble opinion, I know there's certain things, and we get that FOMO, we get swept up into the excitement. Are these really, if you compare them to other retailers, are are they real deals per se? Are you going to be saving money, or is you maybe buying something you don't really need, but it's about the hype? This This is like Boxing Day. If you know what you're looking for and you know the brand you want, there are deals out there. But you got to remember, these a lot of the things that go on sale are brands you might not be familiar with, um, and, and the random things that go on sale too. You know, like uh, I didn't mention uh, Spain, but Spain is last year the number one seller was uh, tablets for your dishwasher. Huh. Can you is there, is there like a scam or a scan kind of feature on Amazon to see what's hot or maybe because, you know, I always go there because I know what I'm looking for. But what if I don't know and I just want to browse? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you go to the main page, it's going to be everywhere and you'll, they'll break down to categories like electronics, small appliances. Yeah. Health and beauty is also really big during prime days. Uh, so, yeah, there's definitely, definitely it breaks it down and helps you find what you're looking for. All right, let's change focus and talk Twitter. And we've talked Twitter over the past several weeks. It's been about, you know, the sale and Elon Musk's name. But we've got something different in the Twitterverse to tell us about. Yeah, this is a new feature that's been in the works for a year. I think if you have a, a, a presence on social media, especially Twitter, at some point in your Twitter career, you've been mentioned in a comment or you've been mentioned in a post that was maybe unsavory and you're like, why on earth am I mentioned in this? And then you get the notifications continuous after that. So now this is the first time Twitter's unveiling unmentioned. So you can actually control the narrative. You can go into that original tweet and remove yourself from that tweet. So you tap on the three dots on the tweets, and there's now going to be a new option called leave this conversation. So what it's going to do is your username is going to stay there, but it's going to be grayed out, and you're going to be untagged from that original tweet and any reply. Uh, it's going to stop future mentions as well, so prevent people from mentioning you in that thread. And also, uh, it'll stop all notifications as well and prevent people from actually mentioning you as well. That is great. I like that. Andy, you had a problem with that. Someone tagged Andy, the, uh, the wrong Andrew Schultz, said, boy, people piled <laughs> on him for something that he didn't it do. wasn't so, very positive. No. So I think that's brilliant. 
Yeah, it's good. Like I said, it's been working. They've been working on this for about a year. Uh, it's rolling out today uh, right across the world. Uh, I should mention, you cannot undo this. So if you do unmention yourself, it's done. Like, you cannot jump back into the conversation. Probably One good thing. <laughs> yeah, I think if you want to remove yourself, it's probably for a reason. <laughs> Very much exactly. so. Exactly. Sure. Uh, thank you so much, uh, Mike. I know that Sue, I've lost her already. She's online shopping. What? Pardon? Uh, but, Did you say something? But, uh, Don't worry, so am I. <laughs> another, another fruitful segment. Thank you so much, Mike. My pleasure. And this is Mike Yanni. We call him the Gadget Guy every uh, second week here for Tech Tuesdays. You can find him online at Gadget Guy Mike or on YouTube. You can search his channel, all sorts of reviews and, and great pieces of info. On YouTube, search Gadget Guy Mike Yanni. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.